Hello everyone. Welcome to the episode 51 of Soul Lead Saturday. The guest we have today, Dr. Ganpati Pulipaka. He is a chief AI HPC scientist with over 20 plus years of SAP experience in project management of application development, technology integration of business systems design and architecture. 9 plus years of experience in deep learning, machine learning, data science, PyTorch, Python, TensorFlow and R. He has extensive experience in business systems design management consulting project planning and management in successfully delivering those by collaborative program results by partnering with client for SAP and artificial intelligence with 31 projects wow this is amazing he has uh, so many years of work experience so it would be it would be going to be a very insightful talk so i'll just welcome him and uh, Welcome, Doctor Ganpati Puyvaka. Very happy to have you on the show, and really appreciate all your time and consideration. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, thanks for inviting me and having uh, on your podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much. Pleasure is all mine. So, moving towards our first section, which is common to everybody uh, about the passion and the interest. So, how did you find your interest in the data science field, big data, and AI? what steps did you take to pursue that passion so i would like to begin uh, you know that grassroots of where it all began so actually when i was uh, 16 years old mm-hmm. uh, that was the first time when i actually started assembling a cpu a computer on my own mm-hmm. so i just wanted to see if i can assemble on my own like without going to shop or anything then i got all of the components and actually uh, built a, and assembled a computer mm-hmm. and when i did that so since now i have a computer so i started working on uh, programming languages like c c++ visual c++ um you know parallelly the same time going to school and also pursuing all my programming language effort mm-hmm. at the time and uh, so as i started doing that i found some astounding opportunities mm-hmm. and at the days you actually I saw there was a requirement at Air Force Academy mm-hmm. was actually looking for implementation of C++ programming language for their air traffic controlling. Mm-hmm. So I went in personally and uh, I spoke to them and they said they were happy for me to do the project for meteorological department in terms of understanding mm-hmm. based on different weather conditions where they can decide whether a plane takes off or which runway is going to land on, you know, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So I did the project and I implemented for the Air Force Academy, and uh, they were uh, they have been using it for many years and decades. And after that, there is uh, another company which is uh, electricity company, electricity board actually. And uh, so they wanted to implement a project uh, to measure the consumption of utility and you know the uh, mirrors mirror reading on the energy and stuff like that. So. I implemented all the statistical uh, methods for them, uh, quantitative and qualitative methods, and I've shown, like, based on the meter reading, how the customer can actually, um, you know, uh, measure the u- utilization and actually okay. also compare the neighborhood where you know people are, how they are consuming versus how this person is consuming, applying okay. different types of statistical methods. And uh, so, actually, the electricity board is still using the product as of today. Mm-hmm. and this was my first project so then i really got interested into the uh, data side of it because there's a lot of uh, stuff uh, that can be accomplished because the majority of the stuff you know uh, all mm-hmm. everything is all about data so 
that's when I started uh, working on a lot of uh, projects and uh, I started implementing a lot of projects for various businesses uh -huh. as you're mentioning about uh, the business industry. So uh -huh. I work for like, uh, you know, chemicals industry. I work for like uh, uh, aerospace and utility uh -huh. energy and uh, wow. a number of uh, um, uh, life sciences, healthcare, uh -huh. uh, including entertainment. Um, and uh, uh, one of the largest uh, entertainment clients uh, in Los Angeles that I work mm -hmm. with. Um, so there are lots of data and, uh, you know, they're actually terabyte uh, data on the business warehouse inside for performing the analytics. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the largest uh, project I worked on the, uh, on the side of the business warehousing. And then I started running a lot of business analytics and uh, getting the outputs and also applying the algorithms and you know, I implement around 32 projects as of today. Wow. Uh, sometimes okay. my profile may not be up to date. You know, I don't keep uh, updating all the time. So, um, and uh, ever since uh, I uh, worked on all of these projects, then uh, almost a decade ago, I also started into a data analytics side of it. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, like, you know, uh, I have, uh, uh, a degree on the specialization of running on the business analytics and the data okay. analytics. For example, like uh, uh, Tableau or uh, Quicksilver, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, um, also uh, uh, Microsoft Power BI. Mm -hmm. uh, and a number of uh, BI analytics tools that uh, I started picking up uh, when I was, uh, when I joined the degree with uh, uh, California University at R1, mm -hmm. uh, it was almost a decade ago. And then I implemented all of these products and all of uh, these tools, every possible analytics tools out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then again, um, there was also some uh, machine learning and statistics I picked up from the mm -hmm. uh, curriculum. And, and later I pursued a, a, a doctor of computer science program where I was specializing more on the big data, machine learning, analytics side of it. And, uh, and then I did a, a postdoc uh, with mm -hmm. the Colorado Technical University, where I've actually um, implemented uh, a lot of projects, and uh, especially on the high-performance computing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a specialization in high-performance computing with deep learning, uh, and uh, I, my dissertation is on that uh, entire topic. And uh, I don't know whether I, I'm still debating if I should publish it as a book or I should publish mm -hmm. it as a research paper, but that's a uh, you know, a large-scale uh, dissertation I have written, and uh, uh, a lot of uh, research publications already have uh, come forward to accept it. Uh -huh. uh, uh, for example, like uh, uh, ACM, uh, which mm -hmm. is a popular research publication, and uh, mm -hmm. IEEE, um, and, you know, uh, and uh, Springer Nature Link also contacted me. I haven't published yet. I still don't know if I'm going to publish it as a book, or mm -hmm. I'm going to publish it as a paper, but at the same time, I'm working on a couple of books right now, and uh, uh, the books are, uh, the first book is about uh, more on the mathematics of the machine learning, like mm -hmm. how we can implement uh, linear algebra or calculus applications, and uh, how leveraging the Python and uh, or PyTorch or TensorFlow, how can we go and implement this project? Mm -hmm. And that's what uh, I'm currently, um, you know, um, working on a book, and there's another book also I'm working for, another uh, mm -hmm. popular which is actually on the reinforcement learning algorithms. And uh, so that's about advanced uh, systems of uh, robotics and how do we implement mm -hmm. reinforcement learning. And that's 
uh, mainly on PyTorch. Already I've completed a few chapters. I completed a few chapters in the first book, but uh, I still have to complete the, all chapters and um, you know refine it and fine tune it before I can publish them. So those are my projects in the pipeline. Wow, so you are so busy actually, the way I am understanding it. Uh, so you are trying to get it, the knowledge from everywhere and then you are sharing it as well through your books or through your work and the projects. So thank you so much I for sharing. I have written around 400 research papers wow. back in the, day, in the past uh, decade. Uh -huh. And uh, so these papers uh, cover a wide range of topics. And all from IoT and then you have IIoT and then you have... Uh, uh, React.js, you have uh, you know, several uh, web frameworks and you know, a lot of uh, uh, applications uh, covering a wide range of topics including machine learning algorithms, deep learning algorithms, mm -hmm. natural language processing, um, you know, and uh, also uh, bio-inspired uh, mm -hmm. uh, machine learning algorithms, more on the genetic algorithms and all of that stuff. So, and, uh, uh, you know, robotics, and so it mm -hmm. covers a wide range of topics. So, considering that uh, you know the postdoc was uh, the toughest period, where I have to be completely uh, you know coming up with innovative topics. Every mm -hmm. research paper I have to write cannot be the same as the other paper because, mm -hmm. uh, and especially uh, also the most important thing is plagiarism because. Um, you know, it's important. A lot of people publish a lot of articles these days. And they just mm -hmm. think of, uh, I, I mean, I literally, I take some of the articles and I paste them into some of the plagiarism tools, like, uh, you know, Turnitin, there's a plagiarism academic tool, so you can find out. So you paste some of this article over there, it's going to show, mm -hmm. especially it tags the content, like they just copied and pasted it, or even they rewarded it by copying it from particular research paper or Mm -hmm. or a newspaper article or anywhere, it's going to show that up. Uh, so that's the uh, you know, tough thing about postdoc is like you can't have even a single word that is, you know, um, copied from somewhere. It has to be completely original and completely authentic. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's the only way the paper is going to be even accepted by the university. Yeah. Thank you so much, actually. The way you are talking, it shows your passion towards the field. So thank you so much uh, for being my guest as well. Uh, moving towards our next question, uh, next section is more about questions from the audience. So I have shortlisted a couple of questions for you. The first question is, you know, what are the major challenges when it comes to big data handling at organization level? And what would be good big data strategy? So it all depends on how much data the company wants to handle, because uh, primarily, uh, you know, the company... Uh, you know, if they have, uh, like, you know, large-scale data, then they are looking at several frameworks, like, you know, uh, the conventionally, most of the people leverage Apache Hadoop, which is the uh, most uh, popular uh, tool where uh, it's leveraged for the storage. Uh, you know, people can store large volumes of data on Apache Hadoop, and then they can process it by applying different uh, data mining algorithms and extract the insights from uh, that particular data. And some of the other companies, like as I was talking about utilities and energy companies, uh, you know, they need a lot of data in real time. And they will need streaming engines that basically okay. can uh, capture the data from different uh, places and then, uh, you know, get that uh, data into uh, the data warehousing. And then uh, they, sometimes they have some IoT sensors on the industrial manufacturing uh, plants because I work for a client like that, that process all of this data from the IoT sensors and process into 
uh, Apache Hadoop uh, through mm -hmm. Apache Spark or Apache Flink. A uh, number of uh, streaming engines are available out there. You have MapR uh, mm -hmm. as its own uh, uh, data uh, platform. Again, when we are getting the data, right, so it's not always like we need to extract the da same data over and over again. We need to be able to uh, go for that change capture because you know there is a data that came yesterday and again if you are retrieving the data we don't want to retrieve the same data again because it's going to double up the whole volume so we need to find the change between what has been transmitted yesterday versus what is transmitted this morning let's say meter reading units from electricity or somewhere we are getting the data sources from mm -hmm. so that there is a uh, and data change capture tool called Debezium uh, that actually captures the data and then uh, puts it into any of these uh, uh, data storage units. And uh, there's also uh, several other techniques to do this because instead of putting in Apache Hadoop, which may not be faster because it's a disk-based system, so we can go to some of the in-memory computing platforms. So uh, like, uh, for example, uh, SAP has HANA, which is a high-performance appliance uh, uh, analytical tool uh, that mm -hmm. uh, processes data. It has today Guinness uh, Book of World Records for handling largest uh, big data um, analytics. Mm -hmm. uh, where it has processed like uh, we're talking about like petabytes of data, not like something like terabytes of data. Mm -hmm. And again, if you are uh, you know you have several other tools uh, for that purpose, like for example, you have Hazelcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you also have grid gain, uh, which is a in-memory computing platform. So all of these uh, platforms, what they do is they keep all of the data on the memory mm -hmm. instead of keeping it on the disk. Because for getting the data from the disk, you have to make a wrong dominant tip and then you have, you have to keep going. Uh, you have a lot of SQL engines, you have no SQL engines to extract the data from these uh, data sources and get the mm -hmm. data into uh, your data warehousing uh, location. So, it's going to be very complicated extracting all of this data, uh, you know, with uh, any uh, technique. So it all depends on how the company wants to do it. So they want to go for in-memory computing platform, or they want to go for, uh, you know, um, any Apache Hadoop or disk-based uh, tools, or they can also add some streaming engines if, if they get in the data in real time, or it's something like the batch the data. It all depends on their process. Like, you know, <laughs> people may have, uh, e-commerce applications running on the web and then they need to process and website crashes because you know it all depends on the architecture that needs to be designed is totally dependent on the, on the business design and the business environment so that's when we can basically bring in all of these uh, necessary tools and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, come up with a big data strategy that works you know because not all the times uh, you know uh, one size uh, doesn't fit all because you take the approach that you implement a big data strategy for one company mm -hmm. and then you go for implementing it for another company. All of this may not be the same because you need to scale the company, understand the scalability of the servers, infrastructure, how much data they need in terms of you know, uh, processing it, and then we need to come up with a, a big data strategy for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And uh, next question is around you know, types of data actually. So what is metadata, master data, and transaction data? So the metadata is basically the data surrounding uh, how do we define the attributes of this data, right? So mm -hmm. for example, like, um, you know, somebody is uh, designing SQL design for multiple tables or views or, you know, what they need to do is first they need to de define the metadata. The metadata is primarily the way 
how you know uh, you know just think about the universe so uh, everything we see is metadata versus like the actual data is like you know all of these uh, uh, galaxies that are populated into the universe and you know in a specific uh, time and space like like in uh, space time continuum and similarly when we are creating a table we need to know what type of data are we collecting are we uh, collecting a, a vendor information or a vendor address or something. So what does it need in terms of defining the attributes of the data? So it's going to be a character field, it's going to be a string field, it's going to be a floating point, it's going to be an integer, integer byte, and all of that we can define in the table. And then that becomes the metadata. And then when we start actually implementing it, we need to have the master data. The master data is, is kind of like, you know, the linchpin that holds the data together. Mm -hmm where we need it mandatorily to perform any business transaction. Like, as I mentioned, we're talking about a vendor, we're talking about a customer, uh, we're talking about a material product. Uh, this is all uh, master data. And then there is always uh, a lot of uh, master data governance that's required because we can't just, you know, uh, put some data and then just deliver it because it needs to be governed and it needs to be, uh, you know, uh, in a way that helps actually to, I get the master data ready for the business organization. And then we also have something called transaction data. Again, transaction data is where you have maximum number of uh, transactions generated on a specific day. For example, like mm -hmm. if you have a Black Friday, then you can expect uh, you know, almost uh, the transaction generated throughout the year can happen in a single day on a Black Friday. Uh, so that's what is uh, a transactional data. So uh, I was talking about the entertainment company. So they manufacture this uh, Blu-ray discs mm -hmm. and uh, they manufacture the DVDs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, when they sell it on, uh, uh, you know, on a, a particular Black Friday, it mm -hmm. just goes crazy, you know. Uh, like you know, millions of millions of them, website crashes and all of that stuff can happen in a uh, single hour. And, you know, you need to have scalability. So when we are building like cloud computing platforms, we need to, you know, scale with the, uh, Amazon to see how much data we can accommodate is more better than to be prevented rather than being reactive because mm -hmm. you don't want customers going to the website and crashing the whole thing and then put a, uh, you know, some notice, oh no, we are all down and you know, uh, we're gonna be back in an hour after maintenance or mm -hmm. something. That's not really good because we need to scale and understand and you know, we can spin up any uh, disks on the clusters of cloud computing if we need to scale it up more. And that's what Amazon does because it's stateful computing. It doesn't have any servers for us. Like we're not storing the data physically on any uh, servers. It's everything in the cloud. And you know, so we can mm -hmm. just process all of the data uh, you know, most efficiently. So that's how the, the transactional data needs to be designed. When they want to build a transaction, they need to decide are they going to put it in a cloud computing platform or are they going to just put it on some sort of a database or like, you know, if it's a healthcare industry, uh, they have a lot of complaints in terms of like, you know, electronic data records, they need to mm -hmm. keep the compliance and they can just, you know, put the data mm -hmm. uh, somewhere like, you know, people are going to, there's a HIPAA compliance, mm -hmm. uh, is a very specific regulation of uh, healthcare industry. So uh, the electronic uh, data records of the, of the patients uh, are being protected so that you know they're not being shared with uh, others and nobody else can access. So uh, mm -hmm. we need to put some uh, security regulations for such type of electronic data package so that the healthcare data of a person remains uh, more safer than you know uh, mm -hmm. putting it out there. So there's a lot of cybersecurity uh, rules uh, provided by HIPAA, uh, which are basically the government rules uh, for mm -hmm. HIPAA. So 
so transactional data gets very, uh, very tricky because we need to understand what type of transactional data we're dealing with and how we can handle that so that we can process it for the right industry at the right time with the right scale. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing and I'm sure that the audience will be benefited with the answers. Thank you so much. Moving towards our next section is a more or like a fun segment. So I'm going to give you three words and you have to tell what comes to your mind immediately. So are you ready? Okay, yes. Yeah. So the first word is passion. When it comes to passion, uh, machine learning is my passion, especially dealing with uh, uh, high performance computing. And uh, as I mentioned, also the in-memory computing, it can be applied to AI, not only for the big data and uh, Apache Hadoop and Apache Flink and Apache Spark. So basically, you can apply this to uh, like uh, uh, there's a separate hardware like neuromorphic uh, hardware. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the neuromorphic hardware actually started all the way with uh, building the transistors, memory stores, capacitors, and resistors, and it moved all the way so that the data resides in the uh, you know neuromorphic hardware. And then there is a specific uh, 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 neural network that are defined by called spiking neural networks. So the spiking neural networks is exactly where, uh, you know, we can uh, scale the data with uh, neuromorphic hardware. So uh, uh, that's my passion because uh, I'm also writing a lot about it, how we can implement it for supercomputing and mm -hmm. how we can uh, implement for nuclear fusion and how we can implement for a plasma turbulence because, you know, the energy that we have in the world is uh, very limited because mm -hmm. we experience a lot of outages where we don't get that. Uh, you know, uh, a specific uh, uh, electricity when people need it. So ex the reason, that's why people actually started moving towards uh, uh, nuclear fusion. Is this something that we can, humans can harvest and actually can extract the energy from the way the sun produces uh, the, uh, you know, helium and then uh, builds the nuclear uh, fusion process so that it produces so much of uh, energy. So that can we, uh, you know, uh, rebuild that concept and can we bring that to the earth? where we can produce unlimited energy with uh, nuclear fusion. So a lot of supercomputing uh, companies like uh, Lawrence uh, Livermore Laboratories, uh, Sandia National Laboratories, a number of uh, uh, national research laboratories are implementing this nuclear uh, fusion projects. They don't want to produce this because especially on the heat generated, you know, it's just like uh, almost extreme temperature reaches almost like the center of the sun. Mm -hmm. and you can't just uh, have it. So they put something like, uh, like you know, uh, some uh, some type of uh, uh, fixture so that that holds up the heat so that it won't break down and mm -hmm. you know, get into the labs. And there's also like a, a bomb simulation that people have started as soon as they started getting the deep neural networks. Because earlier, what used to happen was, uh, you know, uh, before the invention of uh, the deep neural networks. Uh, people used to, uh, you know, bombard the islands and you know, mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, annihilate them and to, just to see and understand how a nuclear bomb explodes. <laughs> so, and uh, still some of the uh, nations do that, but coming to the supercomputers, ever since we got the supercomputers, so mm -hmm. we can actually now do a, a bomb simulation in a, uh, in a supercomputer. So we know the projectile of how the trajectory of all of these explosions or simulations of particle physics are occurring. So that we can measure it and we can uh, understand without having to actually bombard and highlight mm -hmm. the islands. So this is all possible to supercomputing and high-performance computing. Uh, you know, coupled with in-memory computing and uh, uh, neuromorphic uh, 
hardware as well as uh, spiking neural networks. Mm -hmm. uh, so I believe uh, that's where my passion is, and uh, you will hear more about it in my upcoming books how to implement uh, these type of applications. Wow, wow. So I can see clearly your passion actually because you're not, uh, you're like unstoppable when it comes to your passion. So thank you so much. The second word is uh, for you is more over like research. Yeah, research again, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a very tough because uh, especially researching is something like, you know, as something that's never produced, it's completely unpublished manuscript that, uh, you know, people have to come up with because they need to understand and come with original ideas that are not being produced by any other person or researcher, whether academic or practical in a project uh, throughout the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm very interested in uh, the research and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I read, uh, you know, uh, lots and lots of uh, research papers. I mean, it's not that I only write. I also read a lot of these papers to understand how the researchers have been moving towards the next generation of AI applications and mm -hmm. what are the type of applications are they implementing? Is it supervised learning? Is it uh, unsupervised or semi-supervised semi learning? Are they implementing uh, reinforcement learning? What type of machine learning algorithms are they implementing? And how is it being more efficient? Because again, they apply a lot of uh, hyperparameter optimization uh, to tune the neural network so that, uh, you know, uh, if they're applying back uh, back propagation or they're applying the forward propagation. How do we get all of these weights updated? How do we activate the neural network functions? Mm -hmm. um, especially when we start applying like, you know, uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, like uh, uh, Adam and, you know, uh, so different types of uh, uh, optimizers are available. Mm -hmm. So we can implement these optimizers and measure, benchmark each of them and understand, uh, you know, how, that's when we can publish the research saying, okay, so we actually have run this algorithm on multiple hardware systems and we have run it on multiple optimizers of neural networks and we can compare and see what's the best to go with. So that's uh, yeah, this very interesting side of our research here. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, next word for you is uh, academic experience. Yeah, I believe the academic experience is very important because uh, a lot of people, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they implement the projects like, you know, uh, implementing the projects in the real world is not so different from what academic researchers come up with uh, their own thoughts and ideas, how they implement it, because sometimes it's very surprising that practical people, machine learning researchers implementing the projects, actually when they come back and uh, check with the projects that have been implemented by academic uh, academicians. So it's, it's not, uh, you know, they come up with several concepts because the academics also, uh, you know, you have so much of research, uh, you know, uh, that you can implement and then you can come up with, uh, for example, MIT research performs so much of uh, research on it. And recently they crowdsourced uh, a reinforcement learning algorithm for measuring the traffic and how do how we optimize the traffic with reinforcement learning. So they build this in a, a JavaScript uh, front end and uh, they optimize the traffic routes like, you know, on a multi-lane freeway if there are cars that are going, mm -hmm. how do we get around? Because there's still space and most of the time uh, we see traffic congestion. So, uh, you know, I think the ability, it's uh, the best is to open source and outsource and crowdsource this type of project so that everybody can participate in it because 24,000 people have participated on this and uh, it has produced 96.6 uh, million uh, hyperparameters and uh, 512 years of simulation 
Mm -hmm. It has created to know how the traffic is going to impact you. The CEO researcher possibly could not create a 512 years of uh, reinforcement learning traffic simulation. So mm -hmm. that's what you need all of the people to collaborate together and, you know, uh, come out and work as a team and then, you know, understand uh, the different types of algorithms uh, that they can implement. So I believe that uh, in, uh, this, this is only possible, uh, you know, when people are more connected toward academics because uh, the people on the practical projects are scattered and mm -hmm. not, they don't have a lot of network. I mean, they do have some networks on LinkedIn, but that is more on different, uh, you know, application mm -hmm. framework. But academic, uh, people on the academic side, they actually connect on the research side. Mm -hmm. So they contribute towards uh, these projects. And the project I was ta talking about was completely uh, built by the, you know, uh, you know machine learning researchers uh, mm -hmm. on the academic side and not like on the... Mm -hmm people working on the project. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing the importance of, you know, uh, academic research projects as well. So thank you. And moving towards our next question, uh, next section is about career and work. So you are an author of books, which includes the future of data science and parallel computing, big data appliances for in-memory computing, a real world research guide for corporations to tame and wrangle their data. Big Data Appliances for In-Memory Computing, a real-world research guide for corporations to tame and wrangle their data. Would you like to share more about it? And, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, you are planning to have the free giveaway also. So that would be great, actually, if you give some insights. You already gave a couple of, uh, but that would be great to just summarize. And so basically, this book is about all the big data strategies. And not only the big data strategies, uh, the corporations can adopt, but also like, uh, you know, there are like, you know, a number of projects, you mm -hmm. know, from 1950s onwards, there are like 60 projects that have been implemented. And, you know, the book takes, uh, you know, all of these projects and uh, it takes a deep dive. Like we are like looking at human genome project, for example. Okay. Uh, how do they gather the data? What are the tools that leverage for this human genome project? Because back in the day, there was no in-memory computing for the human genome project. It took literally like almost more than a decade to understand and decode the genome, right? Because they did not understand how the genome works and how and what is it uh, comprised of and how uh, you know people can understand and analyze different diseases mm -hmm. and what data tells about it, uh, you know, clinical trials, uh, you know, uh, various aspects of uh, life sciences industry. And if you're going for, again, aerospace, uh, you know, there are a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, preventive maintenance and industrial uh, machine learning and big data tools that can be implemented. So it also provides those projects insights, how people mm -hmm. have implemented on the uh, aerospace uh, side, like uh, we're talking about like Lockheed Martin projects uh, from aerospace. We talked about US Air Force. Uh, you can find all of those projects, how they have implemented okay. uh, and all of these, uh, uh, you know, projects and uh, how uh, they can actually be leveraged for any other, uh, you know, uh, airline industries because it's very important for, uh, you know, the uh, airlines to have this type of uh, mm -hmm. geospatial applications that they know that, uh, you know, when, when a plane crashes, for example, they don't want to discover that, uh, through, you know, decoding some box that they find. And then they're gonna, you know, discover what's happening uh, with this crash. So it's something that we can prevent. So it talks about implementing all those technologies and software, and implemented for a uh, actual aerospace customer a project and implemented mm -hmm. here. You know, it's about uh, putting all these sensors, industrial sensors. You know, there's another company that has been successfully implementing on Airbus, IBM. So they put like 
10,000 sensors on the wings of the uh, 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 planes and, and the turbo engines actually. So they get the uh, readings of the mirroring of mm -hmm. all of the atmospheric conditions. So instead of basically, you know, uh, deciding, you know, for example, uh, the ground station has some kind of a uh, weather that tells them, okay, you're going to get a, you know, a storm and then uh, so they would understand. But sometimes they can't tell that there is a storm upcoming because some of the uh, catastrophes that people encounter, they don't know that they're getting into a storm because the satellite doesn't tell them. Mm -hmm. so they can't tell them. But these sensors, they actually pick up these uh, data reading directly on the fly in real time. Mm -hmm. They can capture the data and get that into the uh, sensors and they know that and then also it proposes a, a detouring plan okay mm -hmm. instead of getting into the storm you can actually detour and get around it and you know you can um, you know uh, mm -hmm. not get into the storm at all so and then avoid the turbulence altogether so these type of projects are something where you can find in, in those uh, uh, in the book. Mm -hmm. and also we're talking about uh, um, rain initiative uh, mm -hmm. you know Again, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, research that has been conducted on the brain. Uh, from 1950s, there's a lot of movement mm -hmm. that people have understood. So, um, you know, uh, like people have known that uh, there are 87 billion neurons in the human brain. So how do 87 billion neurons operate uh, and how do they communicate the neural pathways and how they transmit the data to synopsis? And how the synopsis get the inputs and then process them and produce the output mm -hmm. uh, for a person to make a decision. Because it, this is all about a predictive analytics. So how uh, you know the brain process and produce the output of a predictive analytics is the same way mm -hmm. uh, human wants a machine to uh, operate. Mm -hmm. So there's a brain project uh, initiative, uh, especially on the data side of it, machine learning. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that has been funded with billion dollars. Uh, they want to decode the brain, understand how the neural uh, pathways work, and how do they communicate, and how can uh, you know we actually replicate that in the machines? So there's a you know uh, University of uh, uh, UK, uh, and they actually have implemented a supercomputing project called uh, Spinnaker, and that's built with uh, ARM processors with. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, 580,000 cores of ARM. And uh, so that, uh, so again, we're talking about the brain. The brain has around 20 volts of electricity. That's it. And mm -hmm. that's all it takes to process 87 billion neurons mm -hmm. uh, to get the output of uh, you know, all of the decisions you make. And it's so simultaneous and it's so, uh, you know, uh, synchronous. So the University of UK, uh, so basically, on the 580,000, um, you know, course of uh, uh, processing they are doing, they want to simulate all of the brain. So they're working with this brain project, mm -hmm. and uh, so they want to know how do we actually get this, uh, uh, you know, decode the brain, understand. So they ran this on the ARM uh, supercomputer they built just for uh, the purposes of brain. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so these are the you know type of projects you can find. And, uh, you know, in my uh, past book, and also you can find in the upcoming books more projects I'm talking about, like uh, uh, plasma turbulence, uh, nuclear fusion, uh, national uh, nuclear weapons project. Like, you know, you need to have a special type of trucks. You know, mm -hmm. the truck that's going next to your neighborhood could be carrying a lot of nuclear weapons. You just see a huge truck going in there. But how do we contain all those nuclear weapons safely so that 
is not going to have problems. So that's when uh, you know machine learning is applied in the supercomputing, and mm-hmm. you come up with a strategy of how to transport these nuclear weapons from you know uh, one place to another um, for that. So mm-hmm. all of the products will be found in the upcoming book, and the other products I spoke about are already in my uh, existing book with all the big data tools, how to implement it, how do we run the analytics and get the mm-hmm. uh, you know, tools and dashboard and you know analyze the genomic side of it, bioinformatics, we're talking about uh, quantum chemistry, mm-hmm. we're talking about quantum physics, or we're talking about CERN project with particle physics, where you know uh, we always know there's a standard physics model uh, you know that uh, provides uh, you know what um, are the particles like you know we're talking about uh, electrons, neutrons, mm-hmm. or we're talking about uh, different types of uh, you know uh, gluons, mesonons. Um, you know, but again, the thought there is another particle called boson, which is actually you know um, something uh, they think it exists, but it was always kept as a question mark on the standard physics model. The CERN. Uh, which is in Geneva, has conducted this uh, project on the um, particle physics. They want to mm-hmm. accelerate and collide, you know, uh, particles with particles, like you know, billions of particles to see if there is a way they can find this boson. So ultimately, they found this particle, uh, you know, repetitively at a particular uh, scale. And then, so that's when they mark this boson in the standard physics model. Uh, so those are the you know uh, type of uh, projects on the particle physics side that are very exciting, and uh, uh, you know some of the uh, like spacecraft that were launched on the Mars uh, were uh, run through the reinforcement. I know NASA has launched uh, you know, a lot of uh, spacecraft onto uh, Mars, as you know, right? And, um, and uh, it all you know works through reinforcement learning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving towards our next question is uh, another area of uh, your interest, which is IoT as well. So, would you like to share more insights of, around AI and IoT? IoT is Internet of Things, and how AI-enabled IoT creates intelligent machines. So, IoT is a very powerful concept, as I was talking about. It's very, very uh, good in the aerospace industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, you know, I'll give you a project of uh, IoT. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of projects, a project that I worked and a project that actually was a uh, prototype. So uh, basically, you know, uh, every infrastructure, right, in the world goes through aging because mm-hmm. uh, all of the infrastructure gets deteriorated over a period of time and it, it can't, you know, withhold the infrastructure. For example, we're talking about uh, a bridge, right? So there was a recent bridge in Minnesota that actually while uh, you know, a number of cars were traveling on it, uh, uh-huh. it just collapsed, the whole bridge collapsed. And you know, I think uh, 15 people died on it. Uh, the cars, uh, I don't know the actual people, but there were a number of cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when this happened, uh, so what was the reason? Because they did not know that the bridge cannot you know, hold. And you know, the, basically uh, the surface of the bridge uh, is mm-hmm. deteriorating because of the number of vehicles going through it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they've been traveling on the bridge for so many years and decades and, you know, almost like uh, 1900. So how do we know that this bridge is going to collapse, right? Mm-hmm. So the way we know that this bridge is going to collapse is basically, um, you know, there was an invention that uh, there's a company that invented, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, this is uh, in Minnesota. So this company has invented a, a sensor, which is only like uh, $20. And uh, so all people have to do is they just put that sensor under the bridge. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so, you know, lightweight, uh, um, 
uh, chip and we can just put it on the bridge and they put like number of uh, uh, these sensors on the bridge. And when they put these sensors on the bridge, what it does is it actually measures the structural integrity of the bridge. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how was it, uh, you know, it was before versus how it is now. So they can measure up and, you know, if there is some uh, a change that is occurring in it, they can actually uh, tra start transmitting some signals. Mm -hmm. So people are like, okay, now the bridge is, you know, kind of is getting into some sort of problem. So they can take care of the bridge and, you know, they can actually, um, you know, come with some preventative measures. So there are a lot of uh, techniques mm -hmm. to, uh, rebuild a bridge or, you know, to uh, structure it in a way it's not going to collapse. So again, uh, it's so, uh, the cost is so less because it doesn't require any batteries. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require any uh, other type of, uh, you know, uh, fuel or anything like that. It just operates on the light. So it just gets the light, uh, just the sunlight, and it, it just uh, stores it and it runs even in the night with the same uh, light. And then the stars again, it's connected to a cloud computing platform. Mm -hmm. It's all of the data in real time. And, you know, people go into that and uh, uh, they actually can, uh, you know, uh, analyze to see mm -hmm. how the structural integrity is still good. So, but again, this is not implemented at a national scale, but I think this is something very uh, you know, recommendable because I would say a lot of lives because, you know, people don't know when we're going to bridge is going to collapse and it's not a big So, this is a very good IoT project that has been implemented by a company. Mm -hmm. And the other project I'm talking about is something that I implemented again for an aerospace customer. Mm -hmm. And uh, this project is actually have been prototyped on uh, Azure cloud computing platform. So again, if you're in a plane, you know, uh, the lot of panels that are there in the uh, plane. So you have a floor panels and you have door panels and your panels uh, on the ceiling. So this is how, you know, the airplane uh, holds the structural integrity of the plane because you can't put mm -hmm. very components, obviously, because, you know, the plane is supposed to carry so many passengers. So there are restrictions in terms of the weight, how much it can carry. Mm -hmm. So this project is actually to, you know, uh, put the IOD sensors in the panels mm -hmm. so that they measure the structural integrity of the plane. So these panels, again, uh, you know, it's very hard to know when, people have to do preventive maintenance because they mm -hmm. sometimes run for a year, sometimes they run for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So you don't know how long people need this particular panels to be there, you know, how long it needs to be there. So in order for people to know that, uh, so, you know, the way people usually do conventionally is people go there, you know, they check, okay, the panels, okay, I think the panels are good. Oh no, I think I feel a little bit fluffy. So let's, you know, get new panels and, you know, uh, put them over there. And, uh, you know, that's what we want to do. So that's how they used to do it. And, mm -hmm. uh, because somebody, the staff comes in from the plane, thinks that, oh, this panel is, you know, not good today. And the other guy says, no, I think it, it can hold up. I don't think there is any problem because there's no, mm -hmm. you know, so um, there's no like a uh, IOD sensor for this, right? So they cannot measure that. So mm -hmm. that's when we started implementing for, and you know, the airplane can get stranded. People are waiting for three hours. Um, they don't know when the plane is going to take up. It's just there's a mechanical problem. Nobody knows if the problem with the engine, or is the problem with the panel, or a door panel, or you know, ceiling panel, or whatever. Mm -hmm. They gotta take a decision, and then they get the plane going. So 
now implementing AI with IoT machine learning. Uh, so basically implementing the sensors in the IoT, uh, there is a, a fractal geometry. There's a specific uh, branch of the mathematics for fractal geometry. So the fractal geometry is revealed with the surface of any metals. What it does is it basically understands the acoustic emission coming from the, mm -hmm. the, the surface of that, and it measures the hollowness of the structural integrity of the entire panel. So it transfers the data if there is some acoustic emission, because there's a standard acoustic emission that is defined for a structural integrity of the panel at a certain parameter. And if there is more acoustic emission, then you know it's deteriorating. So we don't have to get somebody to uh, run through the and you know, get the passengers stranded in the airport and all mm -hmm. that. So we can just decide just by you know um, the IWOD is just tell okay you gotta get a panel and just put a panel. That's it. So this is a product uh, you know implemented for a customer in the aerospace industry. Yeah, so thank you so much. And moving towards one more important uh, milestone I came across in your career profile, which were like, you know, you were CEO of Deep Singularity LLC. Would you like to share more about that experience? So the back in the day, you know, uh, I was working for a different company and then uh, there was a transition period uh, for me to uh, join another company. So that's when uh, I started this company. Mainly I wanted it to be more like, you know, there is a, uh, even a, a, uh, a press uh, that is attached to it is a uh, separate company called High Performance Institute of Technology. Mm -hmm. So that is actually a press arm of Deep Singularity LLC. So that is for publishing all the books. Mm -hmm. If you see uh, the book that you were talking about earlier, the uh, you know uh, the big data plans. That's where you know mm -hmm. it actually came from the press publication of uh, High Performance uh, uh, Institute of Technology. So that's where, so basically the uh, objective of this company is to promote and, uh, you know, um, bring awareness of uh, machine learning and bring awareness of AI and also encourage all the new generation so that they can participate, they can contribute all of their uh, work. And if they want to publish their uh, books, uh, they want to mm -hmm. publish their articles, they can publish through the Singularity LLC. So that is the purpose of uh, you know the mission and objective of uh, reaching that is to bring awareness of mm -hmm. machine learning and you know bring it for all the people so that they can uh, start uh, working on it and uh, start having different implementation plans. And, uh, so that's why I keep uh, treating a lot of stuff on uh, you know machine learning. So I want people to understand it and mm -hmm. uh, some people who are interested can uh, start uh, working towards their goals. Thank you so much. And our next section is more or about tips and advice to the aspirants. So any tips and advice to the people who are planning to get into this AI and machine learning space and are trying to grow in this world? So it's a very good question that you asked. So primarily what I would say is that the fundamentals of uh, machine learning operate on uh, uh, mathematics. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to implement a machine learning algorithm, the prerequisite is that they need to have uh, mm -hmm. the machine learning algorithm. So the audience need to at least 35% uh, of uh, mathematics, uh, you know, background for them to understand mm -hmm. how to implement these uh, algorithms. So, for example, like you know, I give you an example. Like if you're taking a look at uh, back propagation or you're taking a look at the forward propagation, it completely mm -hmm. works on the calculus and uh, uh, you know the derivatives and uh, differentiating. Uh, you know, the update of the weights on the neural networks and how do we can correct errors. And 
just like the mind, the brain has something called uh, plasticity. So the plasticity, the nature of the brain, if somebody, you know, make a large calculation and they make an error, obviously sometimes the brain, you don't have to make the error. So they go back and correct their errors through the plasticity. So this is in the neuroscience. The same thing has been implemented in the um, AI called uh, back propagation. So when a, when a neural network computes and makes an error, it mm -hmm. just goes back with the same concept of plasticity and it just goes and uh, fixes the problem. And that is again, pure math. Mm -hmm. so, uh, for example, I would like to refer, uh, you know, uh, Gregory's uh, uh, Taylor series. So uh, Gregory uh, was a mathematician back in the day in 1668. And uh, he has defined this uh, infinite sums of, uh, of terms mm -hmm. uh, uh, with a function defined. For example, I'd say the function a f of a is something where we want to calculate infinite sums. Mm -hmm. and again, it's uh, you know it's infinitely uh, differentiable. So you calculate the first derivative plus you calculate the second derivative, mm -hmm. third derivative, and so on and so forth. So uh, when you accumulate all of this, and then you can calculate in the function, mm -hmm. you can actually uh, you know, declare it in a minimal way, like you say, like a sigma of infinity where n equal to zero. So the n is the factorial for each derivative, and mm -hmm. it, uh, it exponential increase. Mm -hmm. And you have uh, you know, um, uh, the a is the actual uh, parameter we are calculating this function for to know the differentiation. So, Mm -hmm. um, so this is very fundamental to understand these mathematical concepts for uh, you know the enthusiasts, the youngsters who like to get into the data science field. So it's very important and critical for them to uh, you know have, because it's it's not like you know a lot of programmers uh, get into machine learning, a lot of math mathematicians get into machine learning, and mm -hmm. a lot of statisticians try to get into the statistics. The statistics aspect is again uh, something where people can you know. Apply, uh, for example, like I don't want to know what is the log probability while I'm running episodic iterations of reinforcement length. So they can apply the strategy, but uh, it's important, like especially the concepts of back propagation or forward propagation, they do not work on statistics, they work on uh, calculus and math. So it's very important to have that kind of uh, you know, uh, background and understanding either academic or uh, they can do some, take up some courses in calculus so that they can understand how to implement this machine learning algorithm with mathematics because it's not always statistics that uh, you know determine the outcome of a predictable outcome. Mm -hmm. You don't want to flip a coin, you know, uh, whether it's going to be a head or tail or statistics. So I know mm -hmm. uh, I have a probability of that uh, coming as a head, or I know the probability of that coming as a tail. But that mm -hmm. doesn't tell me, uh, you know, how do I, uh, you know, measure the the projectile of this. Uh, I'm going into the air, which is bad. Uh, so I think it's very important. Uh, a lot of people think statistics is sufficient to get into machine learning and you know, being a statistician is sufficient. But again, it depends if the person's purely statistician, mm -hmm. they probably would never need math at all because there's nothing to program and there's nothing to uh, run on the neural network. So mm -hmm. uh, there's literally, you know, there is no uh, necessity of math. So, it all depends what uh, you know the machine learning engineer wants to be. Mm -hmm. A machine learning engineer or deep learning engineer definitely they need to have some math background uh, to implement all of these algorithms. So there is more theoretic explanation of uh, you know how the statistics work, where we can just implement them in our actual programs. Yeah.
this was this was very insightful actually and i hope that you know uh, all the aspirants out there can find it uh, useful as well when they are trying to get into this field moving towards the end of the show which is more over about the leadership so our last segment is like you know uh, one question around leadership so you are truly re- leading your passion so what is your leadership style and any specific leader that you always follow or admire and why so basically what i would like to tell is like you know um the you know the approach for leadership is actually uh, is you know is uh, not you know trying to um, you know you don't tell people you know you need to follow mm-hmm. so it, it's it's something where you know the people have a passion to follow a leader you mm-hmm. know because you know uh, they understand why this person needs to be followed it's, it's depending on their passion their understanding mm-hmm. and interest so uh, you don't force the people into your journey asking them to follow you as a leader so you just you know uh, the people just uh, find the interest in something they get inspired with mm-hmm. is what the leadership is all about so you inspire the people in a way that you know people find something uh, where they definitely want to follow the leader because mm-hmm. they think you know this leader has something special you know this leader has something innovative to offer and this leader has something uh you know somebody you know you need you know your inspiration from so mm-hmm. that the field work in machine learning or deep learning or math or stuff it doesn't matter so uh so we just invite the people uh into the journey of uh, mm-hmm. leadership you don't force people into the journey because that's not the So yeah, that's great actually uh, great to hear that so thank you so much for sharing and being my guest on the solid saturday show it was completely privilege and it was great listening to you as i am also like not like a expert in this field i am also learning so it was very knowledgeable and insightful and hope audience you will also enjoy this episode and as i always say until we meet happy leading let's lead together stay safe bye for now Thank you very much I appreciate the opportunity for being a part of your podcast thank you very much thank you so much